This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosso is continuing his preaching from the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're in chapter 22. The religious leaders of Jesus' time, the Pharisees and Sadducees, had failed to control Jesus or wow him with their knowledge and position. In fact, they'd lost every verbal sparring match up to this point in the Gospels. They decided to send in their B team along with their political rivals, the Herodians, with a loaded question. What about taxes, Jesus? Either answer, for or against, would have set Jesus at odds with half the group. Of course, Jesus was never surprised by their tactics and masterfully taught them, and us, valuable lessons rather than fall into their traps. Lessons about government and God's sovereignty which are helpful to this very day. My name is Brian Schmidt and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre. So find your places in Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. And let's read the first of those three. Matthew writes, Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one. You are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. So there are two features that we need to pay attention to. I'm going to call the first one the entanglement, verses 16 through 17. I should say the attempted entanglement because this is what we have here, a group of people trying to set up landmines for Jesus Christ to see whether he will stumble upon his own words. Now, not long before this interaction, you will remember that delegates from the Sanhedrin had questioned Jesus about the source of his authority. That was in Matthew 21, verse 23. The aspiring ambushers now escalated their attack and concocted this plot that involved an issue of the Roman taxation, a very sensitive and controversial matter for the Jews of the time. It is still today. Every time we talk about taxes, it's controversial, but more so during that time because uh, the Jews of that time viewed the occupiers, Rome, as usurpers. In their mind, they saw, well, God is the one who owns everything. He owns the land. Therefore, he alone should collect tax. We shouldn't be paying taxes to the invading force. So these guys wanted to entice Jesus to commit what they would consider the capital offense of blasphemy because a yes answer would automatically put Jesus in a difficult place and would prompt the Pharisees to accuse him of idolatry. They would say, well, if you're saying yes, it means you are in favor of the occupation. You are siding with the Romans. You are siding with the enemy. And therefore, you cannot be the Messiah because Messiah would not be sympathetic to Rome. And to ensure success of their scheme, one way or another, the Pharisees brought along the Herodians. They were political adversaries of the Pharisees. They, they were not buddies, 
but they joined forces to see what they can do to discredit Jesus. Now, these guys, the Herodians, were Jews who supported Rome's appointment of Herod, hence the name, and the Herodian dynasty. So a no answer to the question that he was asked would have immediately prompted the accusation of insurrection, which would be followed by crucifixion. So they would immediately recruit Rome to persecute Jesus Christ and crucify him. So understand here that the flattery of this delegation did very little to hide their true intentions, which Christ exposed before uncovering their plot. So this was a flattery language that they used. They obviously did not believe that he was truthful or that he taught the word of God, what they say in verse 16. They didn't believe that at all. They thought that their belief system actually led people to heaven. But again, according to Jesus himself earlier in the ministry, they possess insufficient righteousness, according to what Christ said in Matthew 5, verse 20. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot make it to the kingdom of heaven. Well, they disagree with that, obviously, so that their flattery is all a game. It's all an attempt to get him to stumble upon his own words. And their comment about impartiality here fits their strategy well because the group had representatives from the opposite side of a political slash religious debate. Now, we know that strategy very well. This is a, a technique that many people use. Some of you may have been a victim of that. In fact, if you have any type of relationship ever in your life, you've experienced it. Perhaps on both sides of this technique, you've stepped on these explosives before. I know I have. And sadly, even believers employ that type of resource. I have seen people use that resource in panel discussions, in pastor's conferences, believe it or not, in pastoral ordinations, believe it or not. Couples do this all the time, but there's a better way. It's the path of humility, the opposite direction that these allied opponents of Jesus went. So that's the first element of this scene here. We're, we're calling it the entrapment. But the next major feature of this scene here that I want you to know is the amazement. Verses 18 through 22. These guys, the opponents of Jesus, failed to realize the foolishness of attempting to outsmart the God-man. See, uh, how foolish do you have to be to try to get the God-man, the one who invented communication, the one who created words, how, how foolish do you have to be to try to, to entangle him and to entrap him in his words? So, in the form of a rhetorical question, he calls out their conspiracy here and accuses them of hypocrisy. And he says, why are you tempting me? What are you trying to accomplish, you hypocrites? So he knew exactly what was going on. Now, what we have here then in the fall, in the remainder of the scene is a twofold key principle for Christian living that I want us to observe because that's what Jesus takes this conversation. He refutes them. He exposes them immediately for what they're doing. He points out the fact that they are false believers. They are doing this not because they love God, not because they want people to get saved, but because of self-centeredness. But now he, he addresses the issue that they raised. Interestingly enough, he could have said, no, get out of here. We have nothing more to talk about. But then he presents divine wisdom here. And, and, and that divine wisdom is a twofold principle that you and I need to observe because that is an absolute principle for our lives. And then he goes and enlists the two levels of authority, the two realms of authority that we live under and that we need to observe. One is greater, the other one is lesser. Verses 18 through 21. I'm going to call this one, render limited submission to government. Render limited submission to the government. The uh, denarius coin here, 
that Jesus asked. He's using a prop now. He says, let me teach you a lesson, but, but I need a prop in order to teach you that lesson. So he asked for a coin, the one denarius coin. That coin contained an image of the emperor on one side of that coin and an inscription on the other side. Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, Pontifex Maximus. The latter part of that reads, high priest. So that coin was an object of idolatry. And that is why the Jews resented this text, church, not only because of the Roman occupation, but because of its idolatrous underpinning. By even possessing a coin like this for themselves, this is an object of idolatry. We can't even hold on to one. Paying this tax, then, imagine that, would mean financing a pagan and idolatrous government. Not only the occupiers, but pagan occupiers, devilish idolaters here in our land, the promised land, the land that belongs to God. In church, we know exactly how they feel, don't we? We reluctantly send our tax dollars to governments that finance education systems that attack our faith. And now in the last decade or so, started grooming six-year-olds into sexual perversion. So we know our blood boils when we send our text. I can't believe my government is financing this type of sexual perversion, sexual sin. It's attacking my faith. This is, this, this hurts my conscience. We know how they feel exactly. But let me show you that first century Jews had a harder predicament than we do today. Because their political landscape did not allow for taxation with representation. Now, that's what we have here in the United States. We have what we call taxation with representation, the foundation of many modern Western nations' fiscal system. Now, even more amazingly, Jesus did not defend or condemn the tax laws of his day. He could have done so, but again, he wasn't going to go into a, a theological debate with these guys. There's, there's, no, there's no reason for that. Instead, he affirmed that citizens of Rome must return. That's what the word means. Render to Caesar. It means pay back. Return to the government what belongs to the government. It says render. Pay back the dues that belong to the state. So not only is he not defending or condemning the taxation system of his day, he's saying pay back to the government what belongs to the government. And what that means, church, is this. From God's perspective, human governments have a legitimate claim to submission from its citizens. So if you're an American, if you're a person living in any type of government, God has established the fact that we do owe submission to our local government. God has established that. He says, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, specifically in the area of taxation. Consider the following scriptures. We've talked about this many times before, but it showed up in the text again. But consider what Paul says to the Romans in Romans 13, verses 1 through 2, and then verse 6. He says, Every person, that includes you and me, is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. See, right there, God establishes the fact that we owe submission to the government. Well, there's a limit to that submission, as we'll see here in a moment, but he says every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. And then verse 6, 4, because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. See, there, there is no debate here, church. I know that there are some Bible passages that are a little harder for us to comprehend. This is not one of them. It's very clear. You cannot miss it. He says, there is no authority except from God. 
Pastor, but how come we have such an evil government? The, the question is, there is no authority except from God. Those which exist are there because God has determined that they should be there. Godless regimes may believe that they are in charge, or woke regimes may believe they are in charge. They believe they are serving their own interests, but in reality, God has them in, in place for a purpose which has not yet been revealed to you and me. It may never be revealed. It's not our job to try to determine God's purpose for including or for establishing certain governments in the world. Our job is to be in subjection to the government authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Check out this other passage from 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17. And consider this. This was not a democracy that these guys were living under. Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. See, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king or one in authority. So what the Bible says is we are to submit ourselves to whoever is in charge, whether he's a king or president or a governor, as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. And Peter's writing this, church, under the rule of Nero. You, you remember that name, Nero? A bad dude. He set Christians on fire. And yet Peter is saying, submit yourselves to that for the Lord's sake. But you might say, Pastor, I'm struggling. Because what do we do when the soft on crime policies in many of our counties reward evildoers rather than punish them? Because the Bible says the purpose of government is to punish evildoers. But what we have is a soft on crime policy all over the country who actually reward evildoers. A catch and release type of a deal for evildoers. Again, consider this. These guys, Peter and Paul, lived under a much, much, much more difficult situation. They lived under Roman hostility towards Christians. Yet, they remind us that every ruler, whoever occupied a throne, city hall, the Oval Office, the Kremlin, has done so only because God has ordained it. Obviously, he used human means for that to happen. Elections, coup, revolution, whatever the case is, they're there because God has determined that they will be there because he is sovereign. He determined that. Now, the fact that we don't know the purpose doesn't change the power and the sovereignty of God. Therefore, these guys, whether they know it or not, every king, governor, mayor, czar, emperor, prime minister president, or even DAs are only in office to serve his purposes. Again, which are mysterious to us. They may be self-deceived, thinking that they are serving their own purposes, but they're there because God wants it to be the case. And, and, and if you have any question about the authority of God and the sovereignty of God, read the book of Daniel. Overnight, he told one ruler, the government will be taken from you today because God can do that. Now, I wish I knew why God allows record crime, for example, in Portland and Seattle and my native Rio. But here's what I do know for sure. We must pay our taxes because the Bible says it very clearly. We must pay taxes. Now, in the U.S., consider this. We have the tremendous privilege and the right to petition our government. You realize how blessed we are? Many nations around the world don't have that possibility. They, they don't get to tell their governments this is what I think you should do. Well, th this is a crime in many nations, punishable by imprisonment or the firing squad. 
But in the U.S., we have the right to petition our government and demand fiscal accountability. And in fact, I, I recommend we do this. So we must steward that right properly. It's a blessing. Now, obviously, our Christian principles must guide our voting because we have the ability and the privilege to vote. Let your conscience guide your voting. Ask God who you should vote for. But I recommend also talking to your accountant to consider legal ways to maximize tax deductions. Now, the opposite would be tax evasion. That's a crime. Consider avoiding tax legally as much as you can. I do this. I, I take every deduction I'm entitled to according to our current tax laws for a simple reason. I prefer to finance gospel outreach rather than woke overreach. That's the reason. So I do everything I can to maximize my deductions under American law. Now, I am proud to be an American. I'm adopted American. I cherish the principles upon which this nation was founded. That's one of the reasons my family wanted to move here years ago. I pay my taxes. I enjoy my freedoms. And I would, in a moment, take up arms to defend our freedoms. But I do not worship Uncle Sam. Nor do I expect handouts from him or wealth redistribution. See, and the reason for that, church, is because I'd rather give than receive. Because that's what the Bible says, Acts 20, verse 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So Scripture then regulates the parameters of this allegiance to local governments that we need to have. We do owe them submission in a limited sense, of course. So Scripture tells it very clear that the type of allegiance to governments that we, the governed, should have in our submission to civic leaders ends when local governments mandate us to violate scriptures. Is that clear? The limit of our submission to the local government, federal, state, city, whatever, ends when those governments force us, coerce us to violate scripture or neglect God's word. In other words, to tell us that the government orders us to do something that scripture says very clearly not to do, or the government prohibits us from doing something that scripture very clearly tells us to do. Now, if a similar bill ever passes in the United States, and by the way, some state legislatures have already proposed the idea, and in case you haven't noticed, Oregon is a pioneer in those things, we must say we will respectfully and peacefully disobey you now and every other time you overstep your God-given, God-controlled, limited authority. We must obey the highest authority. And we can even quote Acts 5, verse 29. He will strengthen us to bear the consequences, whether they be fines, imprisonment, or even the firing squad. Or we can paraphrase Daniel 3, verses 17 through 18, which reads this. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship at the golden image that you have set up. You see, church, our limit to government submission ends when the government oversteps its boundary in the area of demanding the citizens to do something that the Bible prohibits or the other way around. Commends us to not do something that the Bible commands us to do. And we do it because according to Jesus, we must render limited submission to the government. But according to verses 21, the second half of that verse, to verse 22, the end of this passage, we render unlimited surrender to God. 
This is what Jesus is saying here by comparing the two levels of authority in the lives of people. Now, Jesus clarifies here that no greater authority exists. God is the source of all power, all dominion and glory. He submits to no one. He consults no one. He is not moved by anything other than himself, his love for people, his sovereignty. And he's granted all of the authority to his son. And because of that fact, Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. Hebrews 1 verse 3. Remember that in case you think the world has fallen apart. And furthermore, Paul says, by him, all things were created. Church, that includes all things. Nothing has evolved. He created all things by the word of his power, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, even angels he created, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. In other words, even the very idea of human government was created by God and determined by God from eternity past. All things have been created through him and for him, he continues. In other words, everything serves his purposes, even evil regimes, yes, even evil regimes, North Korea, Russia, Nazi Germany a few decades ago, all things, he created all things for him and through him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, he says. In other words, no one other than Christ himself determines church policy. He's the head of the body, the church, he says. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. That's Colossians 1, verses 16 through 18. Therefore, church, God expects from us complete resignation to him. Your body, mind, and soul belong to the Lord because the Bible says he purchased believers with his blood. You were purchased by God. Your body, soul, and your mind belong to him. Nothing is yours. He entrusts your own life to you for this time being. But you belong to him, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 23. We are the people for his own possession, according to Titus 2, verse 14. Therefore, church, what we need to do is we return our time, treasure, and talents to the one who owns everything. Because that's what Jesus says, render to God. In other words, pay back to God what belongs to him. What belongs to him? All things. All things, including your life and mine. So we return to him our time. He created time. He invented the idea of time. All, all our treasure belongs to him. He is the, the creator of monetary systems. Our talent belongs to him because he is the one who wired us the way we are and has gifted us with spiritual gifts so that we can serve in the local church. Everything belongs to him. He owns everything. It means we need to relinquish personal plans to the one who knows all things. We cast our cares at the feet of the one who can do all things. First Peter 5 verse 7, we are commanded to cast our cares on the Lord because he knows all things. He can do all things. He cares about us. We are to surrender our emotions to the one who is love. First John chapter 4 verse 8. This is a divine attribute, love, but the Bible says he is love. It has showered us with this love, with this divine attribute. So church... We must do all of these things without regret or looking back. Hold nothing from him. Wear out for Christ. Rot in prison for the gospel if needed. Endure humiliation for your God if he calls you to do so. Suffer shame for his name. Agonize for the truth of his word. Lose sleep interceding for his people. Renounce your rights at the foot of the cross. Renounce your Americanness at the foot of the cross if necessary because your citizenship is in heaven. Pursue insignificance. Decrease that Christ might increase. Seek namelessness for his renown. 
mortify your flesh that the putrid stench of sin will dissipate and your high priest will manifest through you the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14. And follower of Christ, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Matthew 5 verse 12, Jesus says, Render to God what belongs to him because your Savior promises, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Revelation 22 verse 12. And check this out. The denarius coin features the face of Caesar, as the text shows us here. The dollar bill shows George Washington's portrait, but your life bears the image of God. You are an image bearer of God. The question is, would Jesus display you to the world as a prop and say, look at how he or she resembles my gentleness and my lowliness in heart? So church, we are his beloved bride, who he has been preparing since day one for that glorious day when our blessed hope will materialize. So let's render to him. Let's not miss any opportunity to give him our all. 100%. Hold nothing back. Give him your all. Render to him the highest praise, higher honor, and higher glory. Give him your time. Give him your talent, your treasure. Don't hold anything back. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org. Or you can visit our website, truthwithgrace.org, for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time... This is Truth with Grace.